The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. Saturday, November 9th, 2019, and you are tuned into the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Presented by Hami Media. And in association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com. On this week's show, we're talking full gear, World Tag League, NXT, and as little WWE as humanly possible. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. Find the entire HTM podcast network online, hittingthemarks.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the voice, the real RBV, Rick. Are you in full gear? It's me, it's me! It's that R to the P to the V. You know I am geared up, getting ready. And that's why at this record time, we got to get through this thing. It, you know, just outside, it's a super Saturday, but outside of professional wrestling, we've got some big college football action coming our way. You know, we're sitting down here on the East Coast. It's a little after 1230. We're a couple hours away from a game that the whole nation's going to be tuning in for. All eyes locked in. This has... Playoff implications. Everybody's going to be on the edge of their seat. And of course, I'm talking about the University of Cincinnati taking on UConn in a big American conference. I mean, this thing is going to be a blockbuster, Jargo. I'm sure you guys in Iowa, you guys are locked and loaded, ready for this thing. Uh, Well, you know, we do have the conflicting biggest game of the week, which is, is of course, the Iowa Hawkeyes up in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, to take on the freaking Badgers, which... I kind of say that in jest, but that actually is a pretty big game as far as the Big Ten West is concerned. We also have that big uh, Penn State and Minnesota game. Oh, yeah. And then there's Alabama versus LSU. Uh, That's probably the least interesting of the slate, right? Well, you know, that had some value last week when we thought it was going to be one versus two. But thankfully, uh, the playoff committee stepped in. They have righted this tremendous wrong that's been going on with the Associated Press. And they recognize the true best damn team in all the land. The Ohio State Buckeyes are your number one. So now we have to just kind of deal with number two versus three. Granted, you know, we're sitting here early, mid-November. It's a nice little treat uh, for all the SEC fans and all of their haters. But all serious, hey, hey, this is this is a big game. This is going to be a fun afternoon of college football. And you said outside of that big home run there in the SEC, you know, Jerk, I know you, that's the one you're really excited about. You were kind of no selling some of these the undercard here, but there's a lot of playoff implications that, that we're going to see unfold today. This is this is that turning point. We've only got a couple weeks to go, counting today three weeks plus the championship games. This thing is getting hot. Uh, it's still as far as 1230 Eastern Standard Time, I have not heard definitively if Tua is going to play or not for Alabama. Rick, do you think that it favors Alabama if Tua plays or are you afraid that he's not going to be healthy and it's actually going to give LSU an advantage going into Alabama? Well, you, you talk about the genius, the mastermind. 
you know, Alabama's going to be coming out here. And I, and I love how they're holding this off here. You want to keep LSU guessing, even if he is, I mean, he is ready to go. I don't think you want to put that full workload on him. You're going to want to come out with some different packages here, show some different fronts, keep LSU on their tippy toes, and then hopefully push them back on their heels to keep pushing. But you know those Tigers. Uh, there's boys from the Bayou. They are hungry. They want this thing. This is a statement game for them. And we've been laying out, you know, a little plug here over on hashtag HTM Sports, which you can catch here on the HittingMarks.com or on the Hami Media Group platform. You know, we've been talking about this. Going to be very interesting. There's a good chance that yes, both of these teams could see postseason action. But if Georgia, who is, you know, they have kind of righted the ship. You know, they had that bad taste in that mouth from that devastating loss to North Carolina. They're trying to get back in this thing. If they could claim that championship in the SEC, the loser today, you know, they might not be seeing playoff action. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to see how both the Big Ten and the SEC play out. Also, what's going to be fascinating tonight is Full Gear, live on pay-per-view, Fight TV for those internationally. Huckleberry, I wanted to take a step back and take a look at Dynamite, kind of, because this is really the first opportunity that we have had to see an AEW go-home show, to see what their idea of a go-home show was going to be. Did it live up to it for you? Are you excited for Full Gear? Did they do their job this Wednesday on TNT? Yeah, I think you you really got to approach what we got Wednesday from a number of different directions. And going back, you know, I had the opportunity to sit in with the MSG over in the Hami Media Group, and we want to we want to record right after the show. So you're getting the you know that instinct reaction. Now we've had a couple of days to let things sink in, and a lot of my feelings, uh, I got some highs and lows, and it goes back to things we've talked about in the locker room this past week that we talked last week here on Hitting Work Pro Wrestling Podcast. Is they didn't have a whole lot to advertise. They were really hammering home. Uh, what, four, four, five marquee matchups. And I think they did a tremendous job. They absolutely hit the mark, knocked it out of the park, getting me invested in those matches. My worry is here, we've got a, what, eight, nine match card by the time we get to showtime. If If I not have really any intrigue or interest in that undercard, how is this emotional roller coaster going to pan out throughout this show? Now, what is the pacing? What is the match placement? How are you going to keep the highs and the lows? They, Like I said, they did an incredible job hammering home. They absolutely hit the mark on those marquee matches. But then they just threw together some things here last minute. And one of them that really stands out to me is, you know, is the women's match. You had this, this one-off here in a tag situation where, yes, they did everything they had to do commentary-wise. Uh, they tried telling the story in the match of you know, Riho, you know, the student. Uh, going against her mentor. What was it? What was her name? Emmy Sakura. Uh, Sakura. Sakura. You know, where where was that? Why didn't I get one of these incredible promo packages that would tell me the story here? You know, I said this over on Mike Diffuse. I said outside of individuals like Michael Jargo, who knows this history, who has studied this, who is just so wrapped up in, you know, the Japanese culture and all the promotions and the story, you know, the, the deep storylines that are going on there. The 98% of us, you know, the rest of us, are the you're the one percenter. Yeah. You know, the 99% of us, we don't know that. And we're not going to invest and buy it in simply a 10-minute match that you're giving us just a couple days out of this show. And I, I felt that they they really missed the mark on that. I, I thought they this show was a little wrestling heavy. I thought a lot of these matches went too long where you could have utilized that time, shortened some of those matches, and put in some more of these, 
I mean, just brilliant uh, vignettes, promo packages that they're putting together. Every match doesn't have to go 14 minutes, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm all for long matches. I'm a New Japan mark, you know? Like, I, I expect my Wrestle Kingdom main event is going to go 40 fucking minutes. I expect that. But on a weekly TV show, I don't need every match to go 14 minutes. I thought the best actual match as far as doing business on this show was Sean Spears defeating Brandon Cutler in four minutes. Absolutely. MSG and I put that over as well. You know, it was it was precise. It was to the point and it was effective. Spears needed needed a big win there. Uh, I thought Cutler got just enough in that you're still wondering, Okay, this guy might have something. He might break through here. Uh, But absolutely, you know, Spears and everything with Tully him there. And you got the chairman gimmick. He needed something right here. He's been he's been eating some big losses. You know, last time we saw him on television was Moxley. We actually saw, you know, we saw the great program at all out with Cody. He needs us to get himself back on track. This was a perfect match. Uh, some of, you know, some of the other ones here, I, I just thought went way too long, and especially, you know, we're going to dive into it here. The opener Trent and Pac. I mean, nothing against Trent. Trent Breda is an amazing talent, but he's focused on as a tag team star. Pac shouldn't have that much of a, of a problem. putting him away. Uh, I think this thing went probably five to seven minutes too long. See, and I agree with you that it went five to seven minutes too long. But as far as the story that was told during the match, because I've heard your comment in a lot of different places that that match was just too long. At no point did I ever feel like Trent was going to win that match. At no point did I ever feel like Trent was in control of the matchup. It was 95 to five Pac. It was Pac toying with Trent. I mean, outside of the botched finish from the referee. I mean, because that's not either Trent or Pac's fault, right? But when I look at this matchup, this was Pac toying with Trent, trying to send a message to Hangman Page about what a bastard he really is. He could have beat Trent six minutes into this thing. And I get that thing. I get. I think there should have been some more showboating to really emphasize that. And I get that. You know, Pac's in control of this thing. But I'm, I'm going to approach this as, you know, as we're recording right now, Ohio State's playing Maryland. This thing's going to be over by the second half. Right. They they have an obligation to finish that game. But you know how many people just tune out? They're going to flip over to other games. I, I just started getting – it felt complacent. I started getting bored with the match. I think there would have been – it would have been more – that time would have been better used to have a dominant showing from Pac and say, hey – this is going to be you, buddy. And then give me some kind of promo package to show me this history. I mean, this is this is the oldest feud that they have in this young promotion. This was the first business that they did. Yep. And now we're going to get this at full gear. And, and you know, and since then, you had Pac leave the promotion for different reasons here. But and then you had Hangman just kind of like in a limbo. This thing needs to be, you know, re-energized. I mean, this needs a blue chew. We we got to fluff this bad boy. We got to get you hard up and ready to go for this. We got to get some cowboy shit. But before we talk about cowboy shit, we got to talk about Cody. Uh, We got to talk about this Cody promo uh, because I think people are losing their minds over how good this promo was. Rick, I feel like that's what I want every promo to be. Like, this was not the hard times promo. Like, promos are so bad. Like, our standard is so low at this point that this was a fantastic promo. This is what I want all promos to be. I mean, absolutely. I mean, we're living in an age in professional wrestling wise. Uh, when it comes to a promo, people are accepting the $5 hot and ready. Little Caesars is good pizza. Right. It, and, and now when you get something like this from Cody, I mean, it's absolutely blowing people away. And, you know, it's just not, you know, the 
the fanatics. It's just not, you know, his colleagues that are inside AEW. And this is coming from legends all around. You know, it was Jim Cornette dubbing this thing. It's the hard times of the new generation. And I didn't get that impression at all. Did you? I, I didn't make that link and it didn't even occur to me until I saw some other people, you know, like Jim Cornette making that comparison. Uh, I, I thought it was a tremendous promo. I mean, he brought up some fire. You know, to me, it was it, it, on, on two fronts here. We look at the reality of this situation. Again, to me, this is a huge middle finger from Cody to the WWE. Look what I could have done. Look what is within me, you know, and then and, and look at what you're putting out, which we were supposed to get, you know, they were advertising uh, a life changing, a career changing delivery from Seth Rollins last week. And we get absolutely nothing squat out of it. AEW follows it up with a promise of Cody's going to do, you know, this is going to be a life changing. This is career changing. And just outside of the simple message of, you know what, if I can't get this done, I will not challenge for this title again. Hey, props to props to AEW for tuning into uh, NWA power as well there. But, I mean, it's classic storytelling all around. I'm yeah. not saying they directly sampled it from NWA. This is a classic storytelling. Put it all on the line because that's how important this is to you to reach, you know, to reach this pinnacle in, in your promotion. I mean, I guess my thing is this was your lead baby face cutting a go home promo for a pay-per-view that you're trying to sell. Right. That this is what's been missing from WWE the entire time that Roman Reigns has been on top. And we've talked about this. They do not trust Roman Reigns to go out there with a microphone and cut that promo. That's the problem. I mean, this was your typical babyface go home promo. We just haven't seen it in a decade. No, here, here's a bigger issue here with WWE. This goes back to no one will rise above the brand unless you're a McMahon because they have to keep their value in case of a sell. So what do they usually do? When you see what, whenever they try to get emotional, who delivers that? It's a McMahon. It's Triple H. It's Stephanie. It's not just Roman. They don't trust any of those talents. They don't want them to do that because they are, in, in a little bit of a ways, they'll let Cena do it now. Because they know Cena's kind of a, a moving away. They want to keep him as a good ambassador. He's a great you know, talking head, uh, a, a great PR figure for the company where he's not going to come and he's not on television every week. So he gets a little bit of leeway. But outside of that, they don't want to give that opportunity to a Seth Rollins, to a Roman Reigns, to I mean, damn near anybody, to a Braun. Well, and furthermore, they don't need to. They don't have to sell a pay-per-view. They have the network for $9.99 and you subscribe to it on a monthly basis. This isn't you're making a decision to consciously spend your money to watch this show, this one show. Well, but, but I mean, that's a whole nother conversation here. I mean, because w- when you get complacent and lazy like that, that's why we're seeing the woes of the WWE. Absolutely. That's why you're seeing people turn their back because they are complacent. They, they are taking for granted that your, 99, your 999 is going to be there. They think that you're going to, that hardcore base is going to remain, keep steady on those ratings numbers each and every week. They take you for granted. They think they are the end all be all. And this is what comes back to bite them. And yes, on the flip side of that, as you said, with AEW, they realize they need to. And and AEW gets so much heat for certain times for catering to certain demographics. They realize there is a neglect there. There is a need and there is a want and they are there to fill that void. I mean, that might not necessarily be me. One of the things I really took away from the promo itself and then Jericho's rebuttal, I, I really loved where, you know, Cody brings up. You know, he's talking about the millennials and how Jericho, you know, he's been using them. And, you know, for someone like, 
you know, in our age group, and I know you don't, you're more, you're, you're that true tweener where I lean more to the right. And I have, you know, in my mind, that stereotypical millennial and what they stand for and all this. But Cody takes that to this different level where I am representing millennials. I am a millennial, but I work hard. I am the guy that's going to break my back. It's going to bust my ass to make this place better, make this a better business. And then on the flip side, you got Jericho, who's kind of representing a little our age group, maybe more of my mindset. Hey, you, know, I have, you guys are young punks. We don't need you. You're ungrateful. I'm the one that built this thing. You should show me gratitude. But he's acting like the immature one. So like this weird role reversal. And then this week, then you got this week, all, all the heat in the world. Now, even, even me, I had this first time ever I've been in a Twitter spat. I'm still going on days later. It's like five days we're still going back and forth because, because Jericho's hanging out with the Trumps. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I mean, heels over strong, right? It's brilliant. Heels over strong. I mean, did, did you see? Uh, he knew it was what on... the response was going to be when he agreed to do this interview. Yes, and yeah, and you talk about the timing here for the release. Yeah, he drops it, it just a couple days before the pay per view, of course. And you really got to wonder when he's waiting to drop that Russo interview he's got canned. Just to create some more heat here, just to get it on his ass. Uh, another, you know, props here to put Jericho over. Like he needs it, like he ever needs it because I mean he is, you know, the goat. But uh, there was this individual that was at the show this past week, AEW, and he had to sign uh, Jericho. Did you lose something? And they had the championship belt. Well, Jericho took the sign obviously during their apparently during the show and ripped it in half. So I guess in doing so. Uh, the gentleman dropped his cell phone trying to get a picture of what was going on, and it shattered the screen. So he tweets, he, he tags Jericho in this thing. He's got a picture with him, and uh, he's got the sign, and another picture with him and one of the bucks with the signs ripped in half. And Jericho says, "Sorry about your luck. That's what you get for being a jackass." <laughs> <laughs> Great. Did you see? Uh, well, you're you're the one that sent it to me. The MJF thing that he was doing for the meet and greets at Starcast that was absolutely fantastic oh, too. Hey, this goes back to. What, who was it from WrestleZone uh, um, at, at, the first, at the first StarCast? Was it Kellum? It might have been. I'm trying to get an exclusive, and, and MJF took his cell phone, opened up his PayPal, and transferred money over for a T-shirt? Yeah. Yeah. Kid something MJF, else, man. MJF up there killing it at StarCast for you. Know, the video I sent you, if anybody out there, if, if you want the link, you can hit me up at the Real RBV. I'll send it to you. Or just go out there and find MJF out on social media. It's there. But, you know, if somebody comes up, and he's obviously, what's your name? Uh, no, I'm just going to write fat ass. <laughs> no. well, and then there's another one floating around where it's this, I don't know, this little lady comes up there, getting the, get the autograph, and he writes, too whore. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get his heat in. Got to get his heat. You're welcome, MJF, or some shit like that. Speaking of heat, um, a few people talking about this because they're they're too ignorant to realize that this is actually a Dusty Rhodes concept. Inside of that promo, Cody brings up a match beyond between the elite and the inner circle. Huckleberry, we're going to get a war games match in AEW. It's going to be very interesting to see maybe what type of a twist that they can put on this thing. I mean, this was Dusty's baby. I mean, this is what he brought to the table here. Uh, and he did. He, he kind of laid the table for something like that here. Um, there was so much going on in this promo, and that's what I think was so genius about it. You know, just outside of the fire, the fire and the emotion caught some people. But if you go back there and really listen to it, and these guys, this whole group, the elite, anyone involved with AEW, they are they're known for this. They're great at it. The underlining messages that you get from whatever you're, you have know, from social media or here on TNT, 
they're laying a blueprint. They're, they're giving you a path to follow, but you got to pay attention to it. Let's talk about this Jericho video package that was in, in response to Cody's video package. Just a complete mockery of it. Rick, we were having a conversation earlier, and, and we're going to talk about him at some point here. I guess we might as well do it here about Orange Cassidy. And I was telling you how I don't appreciate comedy in professional wrestling. This is the exception. Jericho just completely making fun of that Cody video by almost remaking it frame by frame, you know, with, you know, Jericho's mom's aunt's friend from church. I mean, just this was absolutely freaking brilliant. I love this. I need more of this and less Orange Cassidy. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm kind of coming off the stance. I guess we're giving people a little background. We were prepping this morning. I was in travel, got a bright and early to make sure we could get this show out in enough time for full gear before we hit the big football games this afternoon. Uh, so we're doing a little prep, going back and forth here, talking about the run. And I asked you a question. I said, I don't exactly get this disdain, this borderline hate towards Orange Cassidy. I don't think he's making a mockery of anything. Um, and, and you kind of come back. Well, it, it's it's too much maybe humor over the top for you. Yeah. And to me, and you, and at that time you said, and you'll probably come off this a little bit too. You don't want that in your wrestling. I said, I love it. In my wrestling. I think there's a middle ground for us here. You know, there is, there's those subtle things where you take those shots. I mean, it, it's okay to have fun in pro wrestling. You have fun in all of the professional sports. That's what makes it entertaining. It's why we have end zone dances. That's why in boxing and MMA, you have these elaborate entrances. You want to get people excited, get that emotion going. You know, it's just not about the ground and the pound. You know, it's it's why even you have fireworks at games. You have the big intros and things like that. It, there is a middle ground here. I think when you cross that line, and I don't think, it, you know, it is, is a mid-card act like Orange Cassidy is. I don't think it's too far. But when you get into, I don't know, like sexual, like over-the-top sexual endo and sophomoric uh, slapdick kind of humor then then you get into that gray area where you're really are you becoming more of a detriment and embarrassment or are you actually entertaining and popping individuals funny doesn't equal money you know that's that's one of the the biggest things that i've ever heard inside of the world of professional wrestling and i've heard it from many different individuals funny doesn't equal money is there a place for it on the card absolutely and it's also at that place on the card that I get up and I go make myself a sandwich or I use the bathroom because I just, I don't care, you know, like during oh, that Pac here. and Trent match, right? You're telling me when the rock would come out to cut a promo, you'd get up and go to the bathroom. The rock is, you're going to compare orange Cassidy to the rock. Well, I, well, we have to pro wrestling is a variety show. There are different levels here. I mean, our truth blocked us for God's sake, because I hate that shit so much. It's the same thing with the 24-7 title. Like, that's how the, Orange Cassidy could go challenge for the 24-7 title anytime he wanted. It's just, it's not, to me, it's just stupid. It's a moment on the show. He has such a small, you want his part on the show, you wouldn't even have time to get out of your chair and go to the kitchen. That's how quick it happens. He's just a, a cocky, nonchalant guy that comes in behind the best friends, gets a few spots in here. It's just a, a little bit of extra spice on top of AEW on the show. Now, you know, to that so other far, side here. He's a one-trick pony so far. At a certain point, he's going to have to have a match. It, that could be way down the line. I mean, what rush is there? What need is there? Who is clamoring to get Orange Cassidy inside of the ring right now? It should be Joey's I mean. I mean, obviously, you have to have in anything in pro wrestling, you, there has to be a comeuppance. 
you have to get yours at some point. But there's no major rush. I mean, these guys aren't even involved in a program of any sorts right now. They're a novelty act that's going out there, curtain jerking, working the lower half of the card, and, and they're just trying to get a pop. And the fans are eating it up. And they, they, we're talking about catering to that demographic. They are enjoying it. I know Ryan K. Bowman over at Grillbison, he's pulling his damn hair out every time he sees Orange Cassidy. And that's what really, I just don't understand the over the top. I, I can get it with Joey Ryan because of the sexual endo, and they're using a dick spot as this big power moment. I mean, in this case, this is just a cocky son of a bitch won't take his hand and he's playing pocket pool. Yeah, like it's just, for me, I can take it or leave it, you know? Like, I, I, I think that even, let's say that Orange Cassidy is on the screen for 90 seconds. That's 90 seconds that you could have done a promo with Kenny Omega. Well, I think there's other places to cut. I mean, Kenny doesn't have to be working a 20-minute match on television. You can cut I from there. I don't disagree there. You know, it, that's, it, it, Jarko, you yourself, in the locker room, what was the graphic? You were hailing the return of a guy who is over because of stuffed cats. Yep, And but then watch. He's going to go out there with Will Ospreay and arguably have the best match of the night at Wrestle Kingdom. I get this, but then where do you, where do you draw that line? There has to be a split. You know, it's and this, you know, Ben and I got called out for being idiots on Twitter yesterday because we were downplaying the New Day Act. And we weren't really downplaying. I mean, we get it because we're in the bubble. It is. I've told you, I've talked about this on the show for months. You know, you put on WWE out in public, not at the bar, at a lounge, somewhere like that. It's very hard to explain to people outside of the bubble what's up with New Day. And it and because that falls under that extreme sophomore slapdick humor. I mean, they're out there dry humping trombones. You got Big E just gyrating everywhere. And then you add on that, you're supposed you have your WWE champion. He's representing what people, you know, even people outside the bubble, they don't recognize the universal champion. They they know the WWE championship. Right. And you got Kofi rocking that. And then he's out there throwing pancakes out of his ass. I mean, that's where that's where you cross that line. The New Day Act was great, you know, in, I guess, in tag action because they don't respect their tag division at all. It's way down the damn card or when they were making their breakthrough here. I mean, it's not a, a knock against their, you know, their talents. They're incredible. They're All three of them are great performers, but it's about that act. And then when you cross that threshold into, a, you know, a championship top where you're supposed to be, when people are looking in, they're supposed to respect. I mean, you, you got a Brock Lesnar. And then you got a guy coming out shooting pancakes out of his ass. I mean, how does that look to people outside the bubble? Yep. Exactly. You even take Brock out of this. You got Roman Reigns as a champ. He looks like a champ. He comes out. He's serious. He's got that swag about him. You know, he's not making a mockery of this thing. There's places that it works on a card and it has a spot in pro wrestling. And I feel like it just takes away from it. You know, like on one hand, you've got this Cody and Jericho thing that I'm supposed to take so seriously. And then on the other hand, there's Orange Cassidy. You know, I just feel like the one takes away from the other. But that they're not in the same league. I mean, you got one guy as a corner man for a curtain jerker squad, and then we're talking about a main event. But it's still the same show. You know, in all the sports, you have different things like that. As I said, you got different entrances, you got end zone dances, you got all these different personalities. You know, it's you. There's a reason that Tom Brady's a main eventer. And, you know, you go to your favorite guy up there in Chicago. He's a curtain jerker. Fucking Mitchell Trubisky. You know, and it just, yeah, it just, you know, sports. did you see that where he, uh, Trubisky was complaining? He wants all the TVs removed from the training facility. 
so that they don't have to listen to the negativity from the press. Maybe play better. You won't hear quite as much negativity, you know? Private Party tops the Dark Order. They will be added to the tag team title matchup at Full Gear. Don't like that at all, but we'll talk about that when we get to the preview. Emi Sakura and Jamie Hayter defeat Riho and Shauna. We talked about that. It's so WWE, man. The champ gets pinned to set up the freaking championship match. It's so dumb. Sean Spears over Brandon Cutler. And then we got to see the appearance of Joey Janela. Joey Janela is going to take on Sean Spears. I'm looking forward to that. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how, how is nobody getting irritated with Joey Janela. Like, why doesn't anybody want to kick Joey Janela's ass? Joey Janela got irritated with Sean Spears, evidently. Well, it, it, here's the biggest issue here. I mean, wouldn't you be irritated if someone tried pulling your tongue out with a pair of pliers? Yeah, there is that. But you've got just a tremendous heat. You've got some great talents here that are going to be on the rise, eventually could be in your main event picture here, is, is you're going to have to start shuffling the deck. And you're telling us this story on... AEW dark and you're telling us this on social media sure individuals like me and you are following this but we've seen those numbers they're nowhere in comparison to the individuals tuning in for dynamite this goes back to a conversation we had a couple weeks ago they are relying too heavily on this millennial social media following yep uh, Omega and Moxley, they they ran a video package, at least for the two of those. And then we had the, the Jericho and Guarva versus Kenny and Hangman match that ended in basically a brawl for all. Uh, I actually did enjoy the brawl going off the air because it was like they furthered all four of the big matches going into full gear all inside of that one fight. It was nice to see the way that that was all encompassed together. Did you get a sense, though, that they were there was timing issues? Because quite a few times, it kind of looked like they were looking around. I, I had a feeling, you know, to me that this thing was supposed to end with Mox and Omega in that that one more showdown. Yeah, and I, had, I, me. I was really worried early in this thing when there was 28 minutes to go in this show and they're starting this main event. And I'm sitting there thinking like, whoa, how are they going to pace this thing out? Uh, that match ends with five minutes to go. And as you're sitting, and I started looking at that clock, and it was like, okay, only a minute went by, and you could see them kind of pausing at times, you know, like, okay, uh, we we're getting cues to stall, stall, stall. Let's start rolling things out. I was wondering if if maybe that was supposed to be a segment for the live audience. They got to get better about timing out these shows. Uh, we've seen a couple of the shows that have ran long. Like we didn't see uh, any of the setup for the uh, Hangman versus Pac thing when it happened. They had to go back and show us in a video package the next week because the show had ran too long. Here, the show ran too short. They got to get better about timing these things out. You know, like you could have done that entire thing for two minutes instead of five minutes and it would have been so much better and use the other three minutes to run a goddamn video package. Well, yeah, do like a like a run down the card real quick. Have something cute that like is going to be your opening promo for the pre-show coming up tonight. Because, you, know, you know, the takeaway there, watching at home, MSG, he was really bummed. He thought they gave away too much, uh, that there was too much contact. And I, I wasn't really as – I understood where he was coming from, but I thought they kind of saved it in the mayhem because it wasn't just like, okay, we're squaring off, we're giving away anything. Because as soon as they would, you know, interact with one, another – you know, you'd have another match kind of step in. You'd have the Bucks and right. – uh, PMP come in or, you know, and then you, you have the champ come back in uh, from the, the live experience. Conway song from the impact attack or uh, from smack attack. He was over there. Uh, he said that the live audience absolutely ate it up. They said they, they said they were lively all night. And that was one of the biggest pops. I mean, that's just so much energy in the place to see that just mayhem and unfold at the end. 
Well, and that's been one of the the big stories with AEW. The fans are going with whatever they feed them. Like, yeah, we all love Jericho. We're still boo the shit out of Jericho. You know what I mean? Like, whatever they are telling us on screen, there's enough good faith built up that the fans are playing along, which is very different than what we see on Monday and Friday night. Well, I think it's let's go back to the very basics of the business. It's a respect issue. You have AEW that comes out and says, you know, we respect you. We know we're here to fill that void for you. We're going to listen to you. So in turn, you have that fan base, you know, that that truly does love pro wrestling. They know that they want to play along with this thing because they want to enhance that experience. That's what's working there. Then on the flip side, WWE is, I mean, they're like just like asshole step parent. If Jericho was doing this, if Jericho was doing this exact same act in WWE, he would be cheered every night. I mean, look at Bray Wyatt. Absolutely. Uh, And it's because it's a a culture that they have they have built. They have manifested themselves where you despise them corporately so much. You're going to go against everything that that they want. Uh, Like a couple of weeks ago, this really popped. They actually had tweeted out that they would encourage fans during the Fox shows to refrain from the what chance. (laughs) Yeah, I did see that. At that point, you might as well start piping them in yourself. Yeah. Because there ain't nobody going to listen to your ass. You know, unless it was some kind of brilliant marketing scheme where Fox actually wanted more. <laughs> chance. So stupid. You know what else was stupid? AEW released this countdown special to Full Gear on YouTube. And it's amazing. It's so good. It's the best 36 minutes of television that AEW has put out in a month. Rick, this show sold me on the pay-per-view. This show is fantastic. Unfortunately, it's got 154,000 views as of the time I wrote this run last night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and been out for like two days. Nobody knows about it. They're not plugging AEW Dark on Dynamite. They're not plugging the Being the Elite series on Dynamite. They're not plugging their social media on Dynamite. And yet they expect their fans to just magically know, oh, I got to go to YouTube and watch this. And, you know, this is, again, you know, it's, it's a case where you have so much going on. And we don't know, you know, everything. You know, the network might not want to drive people to that. But I do want to put the network TNT over here. It seems like they're very willing to help out in any way they can to get the show to make it successful. They want AEW Dynamite to be a hit show for them. And I know, you know, people can harp on ratings, you know, that they, they drop here and there. This is still, you know, from all reports, what we've heard from the Jacksons, this is still a huge positive for the network. They were expecting 500,000 a week. Yeah. That's that's basically what they were pulling before Dynamite started. Like when they would show like a Marvel movie on a Wednesday night, they'd get about 450 to 500,000 viewers. So them pulling 850 to 900,000 viewers every once in a while, they crack a million. TNT is happier than a pig in shit. And and you got to believe and we're talking about the excitement, the energy out of that mayhem closing that show. You're telling me. If they didn't run this countdown special as a bonus for the next half hour. Afterwards, people wouldn't have stayed tuned in. I would have sh- I would have been locked in as ready to go for this thing. Hell, why didn't they just show this on the fucking show? You don't have to show it for 36 minutes straight, but show me the 10 minutes thing, uh, vignettes with the 
proud and powerful because that actually develops the characters. For God's sake, on the show, we're still calling them Santana and Ortiz. They don't even have a tag team name because it hasn't been established. You have to go like do homework and find these vignettes to figure out why they're calling them the proud and powerful. The vignette was absolutely freaking fantastic. You know, they're, they're showing the Young Bucks. We literally know nothing about the Young Bucks. If you had never seen the Young Bucks before Dynamite started on TNT, you know nothing about these kids. But yet, inside of this video package on this YouTube show that nobody saw, they tell the entire story of the Young Bucks from when they were kids to their dad building them a ring in their backyard. And then that's contrasted with Santana and Ortiz growing up on the streets of New York and they're walking through a subway freaking screaming at you. Be proud of who you are and all that makes you powerful and all this other shit. It was fantastic. And nobody fucking saw it. And hopefully and it, hopefully it's not too late. Hopefully that's what we get for the kickoff show. Yeah, I mean, just give me that and the match with B and Britt. That's all I need for the kickoff show. Right. That's and, it. And, and, and as you said there, Jargo, you know, it's an old technique employed by Paul Heyman. Back in ECW, he'd have, uh, you know, one that always stands out to me is an emotional sit down with Terry Funk. And they ran, they broke it into segments throughout the entire hour. I mean, the whole thing ended up being like, you know, 15, 20 minutes, but you got like 90 seconds here. You got two minutes and it kept you invested. You wanted to come back. That's what they should have done with this thing throughout this show. Uh, and again, this is their strong point and this is what we need. And this is what we're the disconnect in promotions like WWE is the, the commitment, the emotional investment. And AEW is knocking on the door to that. You just have to show it to people. Right. You've got to get it out there to your masses and not, and don't be counting on it. And I think, you know, this is a, there's so many people here and I work in social media. It's, it's how I you know, make my living. It, there is an importance there, but ultimately, ultimately, and I tell this to my clients, there's no, there's no bigger impact than in-house marketing, that frontline employee, letting people know about just not today's specials, what we've got tomorrow, what's going on tonight in, in saying, you know, in, a farewell to someone. Make sure you put over the music. That is your number one contact is a face-to-face. Do not rely on people to go to social media. I mean, it's such a huge flood of activity out there. It, yes, it is a tremendous tool. It is important, but there's nothing better than the frontline marketing. Yep, completely agreed. Uh, Huckleberry, also yesterday, they released the AEW rankings. Um, This looks very, very much like when WWE would do their top 10 list. But of course, wins and losses matter inside of AEW. And when you look at those rankings, everything makes sense. When you look at the records, is this going to be a regular thing for AEW? Are we starting to see a bit more of this sports-like presentation they were talking about that we just kept telling people? You got to be patient. They have to accumulate stats before they can give you stats. Uh, You know, I agree. And, and, you know, from the get-go, I like this because... In people's minds on the surface, it means, okay, it means in-ring performance. It doesn't necessarily mean that to me. It means you're going to be able to develop more character and more storylines driven around these W's and these L's. And it doesn't mean you have to go out there and wrestle, as you were talking, you know, 12 to 17 minutes every match. It's just about getting that pin and then how people are going to rise up through these ranks. And, you know, the reason that Cody's here in this position is because they were smart enough to maneuver this way. Jericho is not lost. Yep. In a singles match inside of AEW. He hasn't you lost got, at all. I think he's 7-0. Yeah, okay, at all. 
So you got the two top guys up there. They're ready for this thing. Uh, another thing, I, and what I'd really like to see each week is we're talking about these out of these ring segments. Give me back, give me a, a control center to show me these standings every week. It's something you'll look forward to. Who is going to be there in this ranking committee? Hey, look at the excitement of college football. You know, everyone, you know, you had the AP up until Tuesday night where you had LSU number one, Alabama, and then you had the Ohio State, and then you have the committee coming in here where it really matters to this playoff system. They shake it all up, and people are going berserk. Yep. You know, it, 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 I mean, controversy creates cash there. I mean, it, it is hot. People are going to be talking about this. If you could put together this ranking system here. I did want to ask you, so I, I put it after a couple times this week. I haven't been able to find there's like a clear-cut definition on this thing. Will there be a reset on these things? Like next year, like all out, do we go back and hit a reset button? Where we're going to keep in mind what you did for up to this point. But then, you know, somebody like a, like a Cutler who had a rough year but has started turning things around. Now you're going to be fresh, man. Now you can go into this next year, you know, start getting some wins. Maybe you, you'll move up the car. I, I think they need to do that. I mean, it, it makes all the sense in the world. If you're going to say wins and losses matter, okay, that's great. So five years from now, Kenny Omega is going to have a win-loss record of, let's say, you know, 67 and 42. And all of a sudden, you know, let's say Kevin Owens shows up in AEW and he's got a record of 3-0. and Like... What, what, what do records mean if you don't give me context? Right. Let's talk about Full Gear. Uh, let's get into the official preview. Um, I'm, I'm so torn on this thing, Rick, because I feel like Chris Jericho versus Cody for the AEW championship has to be the main event of this show. It's your first pay-per-view since you've launched on TNT. It's the championship. It's definitely the most hyped match throughout this thing. But then you have an unsanctioned match on this show, which clearly should go on after the main event, do the lights on, lights off gimmick. And that's when you do Moxley versus Omega. What's going to be the last match that we see tonight? Yeah, I still think, you know, the hottest thing in pro wrestling right now, I put this over on Light the Fuse, Hameen Media Group, HackerHameen.Bobby.com, is the hottest thing is this world title scenario right here. What's going on between Cody and Jericho? And I think they, they kind of realize this situation. They've kind of booked themselves into this corner. You know, you're going to do this traditional, you got everything on the line, classic heavyweight championship match. But how does it measure up against an unsanctioned anything goes blood feud that you got here between Omega and Mox? So that's why I think they put those stipulations on that match. You know, you've, you've got the panel in case this thing goes to a time limit draw. Uh, so much on the line for Jericho. Cody putting everything on the line. It's either get it done or it's over with. You're, you're essentially what you believe your dream is to be the AEW champion. You're never going to be able to to fulfill that. I, I think that outweighs what we've got here. But I do think you got to space these things out. I, it goes back to what I said. I wish they had a traditional intermission to give us a break after that unsanctioned match where we can just kind of breathe, take it all in, and then re-gear for the second half of full gear. Who do you like in the Moxley versus Omega match? Because I, I'm really 50-50 on this thing. You know, going back real quick to talk about the promo package that they put together. Absolutely love that. You know, the, the scenes with uh, Mox in in the hospital. Uh, I love the twist with Moxley feeling like that he is being labeled. And, and really, I mean, that really speaks to a lot of the reasons he left WWE. Because they're trying to define him and dictate his direction as a talent. And they're kind of putting that twist on it here. Then again, you, you got to love 
Omega there. Like, what, what did you expect, Mox, that you're going to go out here and out chain wrestle me? And, you know, in, in Mox coming back, like, I'm not looking for someone to make, to bring out the best in me. I'm looking for someone to bring out the worst in me. I thought that was such a great line. Absolutely loved it. I mean, it, it kind of gives you chills. I mean, it gets you going for this thing. To answer your question, Jargo, I, as you said, I, you, this is one of those you can make an argument and a very sound argument in for either case. I think going forward for each of these individuals, storyline-wise, and what we've kind of seen, the difference between social media Omega and TNT Omega, I think Moxley wins this thing and it becomes a breaking point for Omega. I feel like this is just the beginning. Like we, we should have had this match at all out that the, the MRSA thing with Moxley absolutely plays into the reason that this isn't nearly as hot as it should be. Like, I feel like we should be getting the blow off at full gear, but this is actually the first match between these two guys. You know, it's just, I don't know where it goes from here. Like I, but regardless, I feel like this is chapter one. Hey, I'm still standing by. I think within six months, these guys are going to be a tag team. Oh, God, that's terrifying. Uh, let's talk about the championship. Chris Jericho versus Cody for the AEW championship. Huckleberry, Cody put that stipulation on this thing that if he doesn't win, he's never going to challenge for the title again. I think his dad did that at least a half a dozen times. Um, so everything says, you know, Jericho is going to retain tonight. I mean, he's the first champion. This is the first big title defense. But they almost have me convinced that Cody's going to win this title. Because the title is probably not going to be defended again before January 5th. That's the matchup with Hiroshi Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom. Is there any chance they take that title off of Jericho tonight because they don't want their champion losing to Hiroshi Tanahashi on January 5th at Wrestle Kingdom? You see so much of this in the business. And I, I would I would hope that they're it, to me, it screams pettiness. And, and to kind of counter what you're saying, and it makes perfect sense, Jargo, but Cody was one of those individuals, you know, when he was representing the the NWA and he had a handful of other titles, I mean, he would go anywhere and represent even if he lost. I, I'm hoping their mindset is any pub is good pub here. It, it, well, that's even saying that, it, what's the, that New Japan would even allow their title to be shown there. Well, I don't think it will be. I don't expect to see the AEW championship, but it's such a high-profile match. Like, do you want your champion to lose to Hiroshi Tanahashi? Because I don't think Jericho's going to win that match at Wrestle Kingdom. It, on the flip of this, though, if you're looking outside, you know, we're looking at this from a, a a hard-headed traditional business standpoint or viewpoint. What does it? What good does it do for for AEW to re- take that title off of Jericho right now? I mean, he he is at the top of his game. This is the best he has ever been, and you got all that heat with the ultimate piece of shit champion. Everybody gunning for him. He's got the inner circle. They they hold all the cards right now. They control the championship. Does it move your promotion? Does it move your product forward to put that on Cody? I, I don't believe it does. And furthermore, I think this is an opportunity to move Cody out of the out of the spotlight a little bit more. Let him focus on some backstage issues, and it gives you an avenue to elevate MJF because him and Cody share so many similar characteristics. I don't know if there's enough room for both of them. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure how this thing plays out. I feel like Jericho should retain tonight. 
but I'm not going to be shocked if they put this title on Cody. You know, here's what's going to happen here. Everything's about history. They play into so much history in AEW. Jericho is going to go over. He's going to go to Wrestle Kingdom. He's going to lose. He's going to come back to AEW with his tail between his legs. And who's going to emerge and take the title from him? That that next dynamite star rider. <laughs> Tremendous. The Young Bucks take on the proud and powerful. Um, Rick, this is going to be a fantastic match. This is undoubtedly two of the best tag teams in the world. I'm afraid that this match is going to completely overshadow the AEW Tag Team Championship match between SoCal Uncensored, the Lucha Bros, and Private Party. I, I don't know how I book this thing. I don't even know where I put it on the card because you want the champ, the Tag Team Championships to feel like a big deal, but I feel like the Young Bucks versus the Pri- Proud and Powerful that should be the championship match. Like, I don't think anybody thinks that Private Party is better than either one of those two teams. I don't think anybody thinks that SoCal Uncensored is better than either one of those two teams. And the Lucha Bros, you could debate it back and forth, you know, but I feel like this is the bigger match. Uh, absolutely. You know, it's personal and it's got this build. And you bring in the emotion of Pride and Powerful, you know, attacking the rock and roll and what that meant to the Bucks there. And, and you're. Inner Circle versus Elite. Like, this is right. a, a, an extension of Cody versus it's, Jericho. I mean, it's, yeah, it's like a like a series of matches here, kind of, you know, measure, the measuring stick of what we've got. I wouldn't be surprised if they opened this show with the tag championship triple threat. Let yeah. them hit some high spots. Um, you know, private party, they're, they're big on. Let them go out there, have a little fun early in the show. You're obviously, you're going to have all, you know, it gets your usual from the Lucha Bros. It's going to get the crowd hyped. Uh, and SCU Scorpio, is over as shit. Yeah, you know, let Scorpio Sky go out there and fly, and, and then, and then give some space between these matches. Uh, I'm expecting this this blood feud tag match between the Bucks and uh, PNP. That will probably go on second to last in my mind. Hangman Page versus Pac. This will be a rubber match between these two. Um, I, I think they got to put Hangman over here, right? Like Hangman is finally starting to get a little bit of momentum behind him, which was completely derailed when Pac left and didn't do the that first matchup. Or do you put Pac over strong here? I guess it kind of depends on what you're going to do with Jericho versus Cody, because either one of these two guys is going to be in line to be the next challenger. And I think it's going to be very telling during this, you know, during this match. You know, it's going to elevate. One's going to step up. Jericho, if he's going to retain you, you know, you think Hangman. Uh, if Cody, you think that bastard's going to be on the hunt. Uh, so this is going to be very telling. It's obviously is going to happen earlier, you know, most likely, unless they really, and we've seen this before, you know, we were talking about where Cody does work that middle of the show before you go into that lull. But um, these two are going to play off of each other very much. So you're talking about Hangman picking up some momentum here. That cowboy shit's getting him over. Yeah, it is. And it's finally JR's doing a tremendous job of putting it over on commentary. The, the live audience is reacting to it. This is what they were hoping for out of Hangman before he went into the kind of just that, that limbo after Pac left. And this is the original feud. This is what this thing was all about. You know, a lot of people thought this was going to be the match to determine the first champion. And, and now we've got this going forward. I think at this point, I think Hangman needs it a lot more than Pac does. Riho versus Emi Sakura for the AEW Women's Championship. No question, Riho's going to retain here, right? Yeah, I mean, they're just telling us it's a story of... Teacher and student. You know, I've dubbed her Riho Mysterio. Yep. 
Well, it's Riho Mysterio, nice. the like ultimate that. underdog. I like that. And they're just waiting. They're waiting on her, you know, to to go into that program with Kong. Now, the, the, the biggest question for me here is, does that happen tonight? Do we ignite that program tonight? Is little Riho given everything that she can? Riho Mysterio does it again. She, she wows the world. She takes down her mentor, but she's left almost broken in the middle of the ring with her championship belt. And then you get that that sinister laugh and here comes Brandy and she's bringing that monster with her. Do we kick that program off tonight or are we going to hold that for television? Joey Janela and Sean Spears. I feel like that match could really go either way as far as those two guys go. And then we also have B Priestley versus Britt Baker. That match is going to be on the pre-show. And I feel kind of the same way with the AEW Women's Championship as I do with this match. Like, I feel like this is the bigger match. This thing is probably, if Hangman versus Pac is the oldest feud in AEW, this one's a very, very close second. B Priestley and Britt Baker, they don't like one another. This is going to be on the pre-show to help sell this pay-per-view i feel like this very easily could be the aew women's championship match i just i feel like i hope they get a flow here this women's division is they have they are tripping over themselves left and right out of the gate here they need something big i I don't think that comes until you know the answer is calm i'm not really expecting much out of this i don't know if this pre-show match moves a lot of people I feel like every day that Mercedes Martinez doesn't hold that championship, it's just an absolute travesty. And she hasn't even been on Dynamite yet. They just keep putting her on Dark. Like, if you've got Mercedes Martinez, freaking use her. Well, and you know, this, you know, this making those comparisons, the thing is that WWE is, you know, their fault. They fall into these traps. AEW is doing this. You know, for television, you're giving 10 minutes to the women and hoping that that's all we need to buy into this thing. Yeah. Let's scale back some other things and give some more attention. You've got some great talents here and you're not utilizing the proper ones. And I understand, you know, it's still early. You're trying to really get some traction and figure some things out here. Uh, but, you know, it's it, it even like two weeks ago, you got me so hot. You got me, you know, the, the masses on Darby Allen. Now, where is he? Yeah. Haven't seen him since. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, as far as B Priestley goes. Uh, she was over at stardom, the holder of the red belt, the world of stardom championship. She was beaten for that title by Mayu Iwatani. So I'm curious if we're going to start seeing a lot more of B over in AEW. Well, we know that, you know, they're looking to sign more permanent contracts, uh, not letting people kind of float around. So this was, you know, we speculated what's, what's that divide? Where are people going to be, you know, lining up at? Yep. Let's uh, shift and talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling. They also have a big show going on tonight, which, you know, unless you're on social media, you probably haven't heard about because they haven't hyped it at all. It's going to be a super showdown in San Jose. Rick, there's four big matches that are headlining this show. Your main event, Mr. Priestley, Will Ospreay takes on, or I'm sorry, Will Ospreay with Kazuchika Okada takes on the Amazing Red and Kota Ibushi. That's a match that I'm absolutely going to go out of my way to find. Shingo and Naito take on Chase and Switchblade. Wonder who's going to take the pin in that matchup. Shingo, Naito, Chase Owens, or Switchblade Jay White? Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) If you called Chase Owens, I'm going to say that you are 100% correct. IWGP United States Championship on the line as Lance Archer defends against David Finlay. And El Phantasmo versus Show from Rapungi 3K for the British Cruiserweight Championship. 
the feud going on between El Fantasmo, Taiji Ishimori, and Rapungi 3K is quickly becoming one of my favorite things in New Japan that nobody is talking about. Rick, are you going to go out of your way to find the Super Showdown from San Jose? I kind of like the way you, you put that together there. That's a good sell point. But of course, right? I'm able to talk about it Monday. Yeah, there is that. You have to go out of your way to find it. Would you otherwise, though? Like, it just feels like the show kind of came out of nowhere. There's not really a whole lot of hype going into it. Like, really, the only matches that we saw set up were Archer versus Finley, which they've got third from the top. Phantasmo versus Show, fourth from the top. I mean, you're teasing the Okada and Ibushi thing for Wrestle Kingdom. You're also teasing teasing Naito versus Switchblade for Wrestle Kingdom, along with Chase and Shingo. You know, it's like it's just another New Japan show, but nothing like real important. I, I think that's the issue. I mean, this would be, you know, if, if you're in the area, this is probably something that'd be tremendous to go check out. You're going to see some great stars here, but is it going to do a whole lot of business going forward? I mean, right. It's going to be a great little showcase. It's a novelty show, if you will, but there's so much going on, you know, outside of the responsibilities of, you know, being able to break this thing down and get it out there to, to the masses on Monday morning. Uh, this is something that could fly under the radar. Yep. Uh, starting up next week, 10 days or so world tag league. I want to say that starts on the 16th. Today's the ninth. So yeah, like a week from today world tag league teams announced and Rick, they did a very deep field this year. Tanahashi is going to team with Toa Hanare, the team of great bash heel back together. Makabe and Honma first back-to-back winners. They won in 15 and 16 10 cozy. The six time IWGP tag team champions, Kojima and Tenzan going to be in the tournament. Manabu Nakanishi and Yuji Nagata, former tag team champions in 1999. They held the titles for almost a year. Team Finjuice finished in fifth place last year with six points. And then, of course, David Finley and Juice Robinson. Team LA Dojo, Roman Reigns and Carl Fredericks. I mean, Hiroki Goto and Carl Fredericks. The Team of Chaos, Tomohiro Ishii and Yoshihashi. The Ass Clowns. Yeah, that's what I'm calling this team. It's going to be Toru Yano and Colt Cabana, and they are going to be the bane of my existence for the next three weeks, I assure you. Jeff Cobb and Mikey Nichols going to team up together. That's an interesting one. I like one. that. I like those guys. Evil and Sonata, the current defending two-time winners in 17 and 18. LIJ, Shingo, and Terrible representing CMLL. That's a nice uh, pairing there for LIJ. Two Suzuki-Goon teams in the tournament, Suzuki and Lance Archer, who won in 2011. And Suzuki's regular tag partner, Zack Sabre Jr., is teaming with Tai Chi, just like he did last year. They finished with 16 points. Bullet Club has three representatives inside of this tournament. The team of Kenta and Yujiro, which should be a hell of a lot of fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Bunny with Kenta. That should be entertaining. Uh, the 2017 pairing of Bad Luck Fale and Chase Owens and your current IWGP Tag Team Champions who have been finalists every every year they've been in World Tag League. I believe that's five years. The Gorillas of Destiny. Huckleberry, when I look at this thing, number one, it stands out. There's a lot of legends on this tour. Um, they haven't gave the legends a whole lot of love over the course of 2019. We've really seen them kind of shift away from that opening, like six man tag where they have guys like Nakanishi and Nagata inside of it. So this is a nice way to give them some rub. Got some ROH talent on here, some CMLL talent on here. None of it's going to matter because I expect this thing's going to come down to evil and Sonata versus G.O.D. Well, you know, 
I'm with you 100%. We've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. So that's the story going into Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, you're looking at if it's not an evil, can get this thing done three times, back to back to back, set up that great match with GOD inside of, of the dome. But if, if that's predictable, if that's the story you want to tell, that's fine. But it's about the journey. And this thing, it's, you know, 2D here, man. We've got, it's very diverse and it's got depth. And that's what's going to be interesting. There's a lot of cool matchups inside of this thing. Uh, going with the Zuki gun, you know, it just to have Suzuki and, and Zack Saber Jr. apart from each other. It's going to be. Are they going to break? When are they going to break down the blocks? I mean, that's going to be the next step. It's See, all you know, one block. Oh, one block. Okay, I didn't know if they were going to do the two here. Uh, my mistake then. So no, nope, it'll just be round robin style, and then the two with the highest point total the highest at the end. Will go to the end. Yeah. Okay, I got you there. But I mean, some of these potential matchups. With inside, you know, to see the stables with inside themselves. I just, the reason I was asking about that, the Suzuki gun fucking matchup would be freaking incredible. Yeah. See Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr. square up against one another. Uh, you've got all the representatives from the Bullet Club, like you said. And then you've got some of these legends getting paired up, people that have had great success, you know, in other ventures in tag team wrestling. And now they're coming together to see how, you know, how they can gel, with how they're going to work as dance partners. You talk about, you know, New Japan maybe, you know, going into a slumber for a little bit as they start gearing, you know, truly gearing up for Wrestle Kingdom. I think this is going to be one hell of an exciting tournament. I don't know why, but I cannot wait to see Manabu Nakanishi and Yuji Nagata versus G.O.D. That is the matchup that I am just salivating over seeing, which is ridiculous because I haven't seen Yuji Nagata more than once or twice this year, and I haven't seen Nakanishi hardly at all for like two or three years. I'm looking forward to a lot of these matchups, especially with these legends going up against, you know, some of these teams like Evil and Sonata, Shingo and Terrible, Kenta and Yujiro. Looking forward to it. You know, I look forward to see what Great Bash Heel does. Yeah. You know, what kind of run that they're going to have in this thing. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me to see any of those Legends teams make a real run at this thing. Let's shift to talk about NXT. Huckleberry, the uh, the disease that is Survivor Series, has made its way to the yellow brand as we saw the OC show up on NXT television this week and attack the Undisputed Era, setting up a big main event. Ciampa, Keith Lee, and Matt Riddle versus AJ Styles, Carl Anderson, and Luke Gallows. How weird was it to see those three inside a full suit? Yeah, I, and this is one of those things where people, it, it, I guess it's okay, you know, just it, wrestling, sometimes you got to turn your brain off. And that's what you do Survivor Series time because everything just goes into this, well, we don't throw everything out the window that's been going on because it's about this brand supremacy, this brand war that we've got going on here. It doesn't matter, it's if you tried murdering me last week, but because we have a blue t-shirt, we're buddies through and through, it, it, you know, that's what you get out of this thing. And it is the spontaneity of it. You know, who's going to show up, what's going to go down. And, and I think it was a hot open for NXT to see the OC show up. And then, you know, they did that. Actually, they took to social media to try to get people kind of geared up, which I thought was a good move for it works, man. The ratings were basically even this week that, that split. And then, you know, and then going into this thing, you know, the big question was, where does Finn? How is he going to play into this? And I love that cliffhanger at the end there. And, and that's what you want to have there. I, I liked it, you know, and it could go in some so many different directions. The Finn Balor thing is fun. 
um, because nobody really knows where Finn stands. We have the OC come out and Balor comes out, provides a little bit of a distraction. We get the two sweet, we get the guns, then we get the Adam Cole undisputed era thing. So where does Balor stand? Hopefully he stands on team Balor and he's just against all of these motherfuckers. That's what I really, really want to see. Well, that's, you know, that's what I'm looking at here. He's the master manipulator. Yeah. This is about Finn getting back to NXT to right all the wrongs that have been done to him. This is about him just caring about one thing and one thing only Finn Balor. But it was pretty cool to see three bullet club leaders all involved in one angle on NXT. And I know people are going to bitch and say, Oh, Adam Cole never led the bullet club. Yeah, he did dude. ROH when they had their own faction of the bullet club that was specifically in ROH, Adam Cole was the freaking man and everybody knew it. Right. Yeah. And that's going to be in, for a large part of this audience, that's the more relatable version. Yeah. This is the one that happened in the West. Yep. So you got all these ties in here together. And Adam Cole's kind of being forgotten in this Bullet Club thing because everyone's just kind of focusing on, you know, the Finn to to AJ. Right. Kind of connection. And obviously Gallows and Anderson. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a great dynamic. And there's some other good things on this show. Um, I thought they had great match pacing. Uh, love Dakota Kai and Shayna Baszler. Great match there. Uh, I really liked how they set up. I seen some some individuals out there like was they selected their their war game teams. Well, why wouldn't Shayna select the horsewomen? That doesn't make sense. That makes perfect sense. It's brilliant. Yeah, you know they're going to be involved. They're just not actually in the match. Right. This is no rule. So what Shayna's doing here is people that would usually be her enemy. She is you know bringing them in as allies, playing a numbers game. So now instead of four on four, essentially it's a six on four style match with an element of surprise from the other two horsewomen. Um, also, next week, we're going to see EO versus Mia Yim in a ladder match to see which team is going to gain an advantage. So right now we have Team Ripley, which is Rhea Ripley, Candice LeRae, Mia Yim, and Tegan Knox, And then you have Shayna Baszler, Bianca Belair, EO Shirai, and whoever the fourth person is going to be. Rick, we're hearing a lot of speculation. Dakota Kai is actually going to be that fourth person, but for Team Baszler. Uh, I could absolutely, I could absolutely see that. See the turn here, um, going out. You just went toe to toe there. Maybe a little bit of respect. Hey, I realize what you've got. There's, there's more of advantage than aligning with the champ and the numbers than it is with these scrubs that I continually put down. Could be a fun story. I kind of like it. Uh, Pete Dunn gets his win back from Damian Priest, so I'm expecting that we'll see a rubber match soon between those two. Tainara Conti defeats Santana Garrett. This one just completely caught me off guard. I thought for sure that this was going to be like a four-minute feature match, but I thought it was going to be for Santana Garrett, not Tainara Conti. Yeah, you know, she looked great. This was about introducing Garrett, though. Uh, this was actually the uh, the only match that beat AEW in ratings for uh, the breakdown. People want to look at Tanera Conti, and I can't say I blame them. I don't know what it was up against either, but... <laughs> Angel Garza defeats Tony Nese to become number one contender for the Cruiserweight Championship. That match is going to happen next week as it'll be Angel Garza versus Leo Rush. Rick, a lot of people seem to really be taking to Angel Garza. I don't know what to make of this guy yet. Uh, it, you know, it, it is. He seems to be getting that cult-like following. People are really gravitating it's towards like the my same thing we saw with Velveteen Dream a couple of years ago. Yeah, and it, go back to that, you know, 
immediately within like three months. He's got to get called up. He's ready to go. He's ready to go. He's ready to go. I mean, be patient. It's one of those things where you got to be patient. Let someone develop, find their way, get in that niche inside of you know, the WWE structure. Uh, I, I think he, there, there could be a very bright future for him, but people just need to you know step back and relax a little bit. I think the other thing that turns me off is the Tai Chi pants gimmick. Like I, I, for people that that's their first time seeing it, I'm sure like, okay, yeah, that's cool. For me, it just reminds me of Tai Chi every time I see it. And I'm just like, eh, I don't even like it when Tai Chi does it. Tai Chi and I think, you know, he's, he's set up now for uh, a cruiserweight title opportunity. I think you use that to get more heat on rush. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of heat, Dominic Dickhead defeats Swerve, Isaiah Swerve Strickland or Scott or whatever the hell his name is now. He's let's just just call him Swerve. Um, Rick, is Swerve getting over? I think so. I think you know the people, especially in that atmosphere, they they love the moveset, the style, uh, someone that they feel that they can kind of take as one of their own and help elevate. What about Dominic Dickhead? I think obviously he's got a bright future inside WWE. I mean, it really reminds me a lot of, you know, the early years of Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin is the perfect example. Um, I think Dominic Dickhead is going to do much better on the main roster than he's going to do in NXT. And I like Dijak. I think he's a hell of a talent, but I think, I think Vince is just going to see him and shoot him to the freaking moon. Whereas inside of NXT, when he's wrestling matches against guys like Swerve, I just don't think it's going to work. Well, I think, you know, what you do here is he's, he's got to utilize. Let's make the most of an opportunity. I think for to see real potential or to see a real push for him on, you know, the red or blue. Uh, and this goes the same with, uh, with Damian Priest, Punishment Martinez. They've got to thicken out. I mean, they've, they've, they're cut, they got the size, but they're, they seem a little thin for, you know, Vince's cut of meat. And you know, Keith like, Lee is the exact opposite. He needs to tighten up a bit. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and he, and with Lee too, I mean, such an incredible athlete. He's just that mass on his body and like the head, like the shoulder, it just seems like this weird, like funky kind of uh, dynamic build idea. I don't know how you describe it here. Uh, all those guys, they got different things they need to tighten up on before Vince is really going to buy into them. That's what they, that's one of the things they got to work on here in NXT. Uh, but for guys like Dijak and, and Priest, this is a, this is where you learn how to get that great heat. And I know people want to shit all over Baron Corbin. No, he is great at generating some good heat here. He's given crap to work with. That kind of hinders him here, but he goes out there and he hammers home what he needs to do. And he does a tremendous job at that. And he has kind of, he's, he's rode out those rough waves where now it's starting to pay off for him. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, all in all, how do you feel about NXT? Like, how do you feel that they did this week? Because they're basically hyping two shows at this point. They've got to hype War Games and they have to hype Survivor Series. How do you feel they did this week? You know, in the case of NXT, what we really need to happen here is, is you're right. And this was one of the biggest concerns we had is how are you going to sell us on two shows where on one night, you know, especially in this women's war game, you all want to kill each other. And now you're, you know, because you got those gold shirts, you got the gold standard now on, you know, the next night, you know, and Baszler, I mean, even in your mindset, she's a great competitor. Sure. But a game like, you know, a match like war games is supposed to be life changing, career changing. Where is your mind at? And then knowing that you have a triple threat, the next night against the SmackDown Women's Champ and the Rawlins Champ, I mean, how how do you split the time? How do you get us invested in both of those things? 
I'm really hoping here. And I did like the uh, how they included the OC here, and they didn't go overboard with like full on invasion stuff. And I hope you know that somewhere that they even step in at some point, at maybe a week or two, have Vince come out and issue a statement like I'm putting a ceasefire right now. I wanted William Regal to do that. Like to me, the way I would have started NXT this week is I would have had the OC show up, had them beat up the Undisputed Era just like they did, and then have William Regal appear and be like, no, we've got our own thing going on down here. We are too busy then to deal with this nonsense, create a little bit of dissension between William Regal and Triple H. You know, William Regal is trying to get to war games. He doesn't give a shit about what's going on with Survivor Series, but you're not bringing that garbage into full sale. You know what I what it would have been a perfect time to do that is if you took the main message that uh, Ciampa was sending about the main roster and you let Regal deliver that and said, get get the fuck out of my arena. Yeah, we, we, we've got our own show to worry about. We, we got to worry about war games. I don't give a damn about Survivor Series and what Triple H wants you doing on Monday and Friday on Wednesday. This is my show. That could have set up some intriguing stories going forward post-Survivor Series so you retain viewership on NXT. Have Regal come out here and say, you know what, thank you guys. You know, you guys all had the benefit. You got to go right to Raw and SmackDown. You didn't have to come to NXT. So let me inform you how things are done here. In my mind, this is the real roster. This is where things are done. This is my show. I know my boss, Triple H, has declared war. But no, my job is to worry about TakeOver. Your asses are out of here. Yep. Absolutely. And it, well, and then, as you said there, Jargo, that starts planting the seeds for a little bit of a rift between. And, and then you can play that up after Survivor Series. That gives you a reason. Okay, there's a dispute here. Regal just, and he, he just grew a pair. I mean, he's always had them here, but now they're really starting to, they're exploding. He's going to stand up to Triple H, right? So after Survivor Series, what's the fallout here for NXT? Yeah, because who's going to stand up to Triple H? Nobody, right? No, nobody's going to have the balls to stand up to Triple H. You know who would? William Regal. Like, that's his character. Well, you could set it up, too. I mean, think about this. You could have, okay, you could have Triple H then show up next week or have, you know, a backstage segment with those guys where Triple H is a, uh, you know, this is important to me, but I've always trusted you. And he let Triple H in that condescending way that he does things. But, the, you know, at the end of their conversation, the ultimatum is, all right, I get you want to take over is my baby. It's this is our baby. It's going to be a great show. But Survivor Series is important to me. You've drawn this line in the sand. If we don't win at Survivor Series, the next Wednesday, I'm going to call you out and fire your ass. And that, so it starts this great divide between these two. Absolutely. Well, and then, I mean, how brilliant at that point would it be if Regal just came out and cost NXT, gave him the middle finger, and then went and became the SmackDown general manager or something like that? Dude, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Uh, William Regal is so good in his role in NXT. The only thing I worry about is I have heard some talk that Regal has had some health issues, and that's why you, you rarely see him on television. But I'm fine with that. I don't need to see the general manager of the show every freaking week. If I see him once every two goddamn months for 90 seconds, I'm happy. At least you know there's somebody in the back who's making decisions. There's somebody in the back who's actually making matches. Who's making matches on Raw? Who's making matches on SmackDown? Who's in charge of this whole thing? If there's an issue, who do you talk to? Especially this time here. I mean, we've we've talked about this for the last couple weeks. Who's making these matches? Where are they coming from? Like right now, we know it's Triple H's declared war. Well, who are the generals for the other brands? Right. 
who's doing the counterpoints here? And, and this is where less is more, though, with like Regal. We saw him come out and gave a, an, a tremendous promo setting up the women's war games match. The energy, the hug. I mean, it was right there with Cody's that we saw. It just flew under the radar. But he's not as a general manager out there making storylines about him. He's not manipulating talent to get his way or, you know, he's not involved in main event scenes. He's actually doing the job of a commissioner. It's like a true throwback to Jack Tunney or Gorilla when they were in that position. When you needed something to be determined, you needed a big announcement, then they would emerge. But even between that, we knew who the matchmaker was, who was setting things up, who was granting opportunities or setting stipulations. You just knew they were there. And that's one thing I did like that AEW did with that thing with between Moxley and Tony Khan. You never saw Tony Khan. We all know it was Tony Khan. Those of us who know what's going on inside of AEW. But at least you know there's a mysterious authority figure backstage who actually makes the freaking matches and makes the freaking rules. I don't necessarily have to see him, but at least I know he's there. Ron Smackdown seems like the wild, wild west. Well, it goes back to, you know, classic like Jaws movies. Yeah. You hardly ever sell the shark. Yep. But you knew the presence was there. Yep. Let's talk a little bit about Survivor Series. Speaking of sharks, there's Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar is going to murder Rey Mysterio for the WWE Championship at Survivor Series. Um, They are doing a very good job of putting this together, though. Um, If you notice, every time Rey attacks Brock, he goes after that knee. That's going to be the story of this match. They're already laying it out there. Rick, I think this is going to be a really good match. I think Brock Lesnar is going to get the win. He's going to retain the title over Rey Mysterio. But Rey's starting to even the odds as he's doing work on that knee. You know, one thing to me, we're talking about positives in pro wrestling, things that you're invested in. I'm invested in this thing. I'm enjoying this program. And the fan in me, they have done a good enough job. I am rooting for Rey Mysterio. They have, they have somehow recaptured that ultimate underdog, at least within my heart. I am absolutely rooting for him. I will be on the edge of my seat. I will erupt if he can pull off this upset by hook or crook. You know, we put over here, Ray Mysterio, he, he has earned this through decades. Damn near three decades of building a presence, an honor, a respect. This isn't, he isn't a move set. Ray Mysterio is someone that is in our hearts as fans that we can relate to, that we've all been there. And, and that's what you're getting here. This is, you know, you kind of mocked a few weeks ago, this ultimate underdog they were trying to tag on here. They, they kind of knew what they were doing there. They're kind of, you know, to, to to bring that back to light, to to revive that feeling with inside of you. Uh, I just I hate the kinda, moniker because, I mean, when you're talking about somebody that's a legend, a true uh, yes. living legend I, like Rey Mysterio, know, I wouldn't call him the ultimate underdog. They're doing a good job with it. I just think it it's is, stupid. Well, as we're talking about here, three plus decades of building excellence and earning that rapport and that respect, we do have to take into consideration Ray was gone from WWE for a long time, and a lot of these fan bases does not realize who the hell he is. Uh, so they they want to build that up. You know, they, they've heard the legends, the mystery of, of Mysterio and all that. They've heard that. But this is for a lot of these fans, the first times they're really getting to get invested and get involved in a storyline like this. I did come out, you know, I kind of knocked last week. I wish that this thing would have gone longer in the show. They pretty much wrapped up this entire segment within 30, 45 minutes. Yeah. But it, it does make sense. Uh, one, in the reality of it, Brock wants to get the hell out of there. And, and then two, once Brock started assaulting people, Rey Mysterio couldn't sit in hiding anymore. He had to answer the call. I mean, that's what a hero does. Do you remember I mean, to, Remember when everybody used to bitch about Brock Lesnar being part-time? 
I've been seeing an awful lot of Brock Lesnar lately. Well, they, they need him. You know, you're making this transition. You've got some competition out there. Seen a lot of Brock Lesnar. Doesn't seem very part-time to me. Let's talk about uh, the tag team division. They're going to do a triple threat. None of the titles on the line, but it's going to be the War Raiders versus the New Day versus the Undisputed Era. It was supposed to be War Raiders versus the Revival versus the Undisputed Era, but then they decided to change the tag team championships on SmackDown last night and give them back to the New Day, which I thought was a terrible decision because they did it in the UK and the word was out long before the show even aired, so I just didn't care to watch the match. Um, Rick, I think... War Raiders versus the Revival versus Undisputed Era would have been a much better match. But what, did that just seem too NXT heavy for them with War Raiders being former NXT champions and the Revival being former NXT champions and Undisputed Era being current NXT champions? So they had to get somebody that you associate more with the main roster on the card? Is that all this yeah, is? I'm, I'm going to go, absolutely. This was a Vince McMahon call. He's looking at this thing. Uh, has no interest in the tie-in that you could actually go with former NXT champions. Uh, you know, outside of the current champs with Revival and the War Raiders, that they haven't even come anywhere close to the greatness that they experience in NXT. I don't think Vince realizes any of that. Uh, he wants his creation. He wants the new day. He wants the pancakes. He wants the good timing out there to kind of pop this thing. That's absolutely why they made this move. And now I expect New Day to go over in this thing where you could have had Revival still in there with the War Raiders and had Undisputed Era win this thing. And that would have clearly elevated the Gold Brands tag team division in you know the eyes of – on any sense, in reality or K-Pay. Yep, absolutely. One more match to talk about before we get out of here today, and it's Baszler versus Becky. Oh, yeah, and Bailey too. Uh, Rick, they're doing it again. This is the same fucking thing they did going into WrestleMania when they added Charlotte to the match. We wanted to see Ronda Rousey versus Becky Lynch. Oh yeah, and Charlotte. We didn't give a fucking shit that Charlotte was in that goddamn match. We wanted to see Ronda versus Becky. And now they're doing it again. We want to see Baszler versus Becky. Oh no, you gotta have a Bailey too. Fuck this shit. I just want a singles fucking match. Well, first of all, I cared. Okay, Shar Shar Mark. <laughs> well, no, here's here is really a, a real difference, and I think you're going to agree with me here. When you at least added Shar Shar to that match, she brought something to it because she can take those big bumps, she can do the athleticism, she can carry. That's why they added her there. She was there to help facilitate that match and carry it along. Bailey adds absolutely nothing except a scapegoat. Yeah, like I don't give a shit. I just want to see Baszler versus Becky. That that video package on Raw with the two of them sitting down with that face-to-face, -face, that was the best part of WWE TV this week. I, I was just, you know, I'm just going to go to that and put that over. Look at the difference in how they have presented Bailey into this scenario and how they have introduced Becky into this scenario. I mean, on the other side, it's just Bailey getting abused by Baszler, which yeah. rightfully so. That's where this should be going. Uh, and then you can even sense so much that Baszler has more respect for Becky that she's not blindsiding her, that she went to her face to face in the interview. And that thing, hey, it was a brilliant piece of production by WWE. Well you got Becky there in that interview. And then you hear off camera, oh, can I sit in on this? And you kind of see Becky perk that we're, she knows who it is. We think we know who it is, but what's going to happen? Is there going to be an attack? But she just calmly sits down. They have the exchange. Baszler reminds Becky yeah, it was great what you did to Rhonda. She's my training partner. That's great. But I'm not Rhonda. 
And I've had a different path in this industry and I'm the most dominant woman in this company and I'm doing it at NXT. And now I'm coming to your stage and I'm going to show you a bitch. And Baszler comes off like a badass more than anybody else on that NXT roster. Like Adam Cole's been a whole lot of fun. The Keith Lee and Matt Riddle thing was absolutely fucking ridiculous. You mean to tell me, all right, you're going to have Matt Riddle and Zack Ryder fucking sit there and fight it out 50-50? Get the fuck out of here. Matt Riddle would fucking tear that motherfucker in half, right? But Baszler, they're treating with that respect. Baszler is a badass who's being protected in this entire thing, and she is coming off great. I almost want to see Bailey win this matchup between these two and save this for fucking mania. This is the match I want to see. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, what they're really real what they're realizing in this situation here is that they can use Bailey to save themselves and not give away too much where they are setting up business. Give Bailey the heat, right? Like Baszler takes out Becky and then Bailey sneaks in, throws Sheena out of the fucking ring, pins Becky, wins the fucking match. Give her the rub where she can go off and she can run her fucking mouth about it, get all the heat for it. In the meantime, we all know the real match is Baszler versus Becky. Nobody gives a shit that Bailey won. Well, and I think, you know, what really plays into that too. I'm with you. I'm okay with giving Bailey this thing. She's here for a reason. Let's get some serious heat here. Let's play Banks into this. Let them two spoiled little brats steal this thing. Yeah. I'm telling Think you about that. the heat, them running around for the next couple months. We beat we beat Becky and we beat Baszler. You know the other thing that I find rather annoying, just to go back to this tag team thing for a second. So in fucking Saudi Arabia, the club wins that fucking tag team turmoil match. Best tag team in the world. They're not even involved in the fucking match. Like what was the fucking point? Yeah, the best tight team in the world. Now they're out there going 50-50 with fucking NXT guys that come up to their waist. Dude, how small did Bobby Fish look compared to fucking Luke Gallows? My God. Kyle, at hey. least he's a tall, scraggly motherfucker. Hey, you keep seeing, you know, and I've seen, I even seen, I think I saw Ben comment on this thing. You know, when's SmackDown going to get involved here? Imagine when Braun shows up, when Roman shows up. Mm-hmm. No, we even said even Cesaro standing against one of those motherfuckers. Yeah. But instead, we get Imperium. I, I, like, me some, I like me some Imperium. I like yeah, me some okay. Imperium, too. But, I mean, come on. Come on. They're going to they're, they're gonna expose Walter quicker than you can say woo-ha. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then visit the entire HTM podcast network online, hittingthemarks.com. Check out all the great shows. We're going to feature the return of the Wrestle Popcast this week, as well as HTM Tech. Dude, hold on. Nelson hit me up and he was like, holy shit. Tell Jojo not to kill me. He said he has got a flood of interviews for him. Yeah, he sent me like a freaking half a dozen of them the other day. I'm like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? Jesus. Then we got Joe over there doing the HTM tech thing. Of course, we'll be around for HTM sports. Make sure that you find Huckleberry and I over in the locker room this Monday, hackerhameen.podbean.com. You can also find me there tonight as I'm going to be sitting down with MSG to talk some immediate reaction to full gear. We'll get Huckleberry's thoughts Monday inside the locker room. You can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo, RBV. Where do the peeps, the freaks, and the geeks, and the 12-year-olds who love the New Day, find you? 
Absolutely. As always, you can keep up with all things Rick Vickery across all social media platforms at The Real RBV. Looking forward to full gear. Looking forward to hearing what you and MSG have to say, breaking this thing down, getting that, that initial reaction. And as you said, we're going to let it sink in for a couple days, touch base with it on Monday inside a locker room. We've got new Japan. We'll get some more developing news going on here, but gearing up for that holiday season, another exciting time for wrestling. Go Tigers! Yeah, got to get that one in there. We'll talk to you Monday inside the locker room. I'll talk to you tonight over at hackerhameen.podbean.com for now. We're off like a prod dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Enable me. Don't give up. You bad guy!